welcome to Recover Stronger, the show that gives you high quality information about injury and rehabilitation, performance, and health. My name is Noah Mandel, and I'm a resident physiotherapist from Toronto, Canada. I created this podcast to provide you with educational content, not medical advice. Please seek advice from a qualified healthcare professional if you are currently dealing with a health-related concern. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider leaving a review. I would deeply appreciate it, and you would also be doing your part in helping the podcast grow so that we can provide this information to more and more people. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. As you may have noticed, the name of the podcast has changed. I accidentally took the name that someone else has been going by since 2014. So the podcast is now named Forward Physio. I think this is a bit of a blessing in disguise because I like this name anyway, because it's all about moving the physiotherapy profession forward, which is what this podcast is all about. So I'm still figuring things out, but at the end of the day, what is most important in my opinion is the value that I bring to all of you. With that said, today's episode is a chat I had with Angus Bradley. Angus is a strength and conditioning specialist from Australia. He is well known on social media for cutting through a lot of the nonsense that is in the fitness industry, but I was blown away by my conversation with him. I had Angus on because I loved his perspective that he shared on Instagram, but admittedly, I had not yet listened to his podcast. So when I spoke to him, I was blown away by how brilliant and well-spoken he is. This conversation was originally filmed for Instagram, and in fact, this exact conversation is the reason you are now listening to this on whatever podcast platform you are on. It was actually Angus who convinced me to get into producing some more long-form content. With that said, I had not yet purchased any fancy podcasting equipment. I did my best with the editing of the audio. Angus's is pretty good. Nonetheless, I hope you value what Angus offers in this episode over the quality of the audio because it is well worth the listen. As a physio and a strength and conditioning coach, myself and Angus discuss what it's like to post on social media, and Angus also provides a brilliant and refreshing take on fitness that any gym goer or coach needs to listen to. With that said, I bring to you Angus Bradley. Yeah, it's been great just uh, back from Amsterdam and then just fucking relaxing for a week and then get into some proper training because uh, that was the, part of the intention for the month, like big week, a uh, big month of work, but then also just get away from all the distractions back home and dive into some training with the boys. Ooh, I, I don't know anyone that's ever been to Amsterdam for, for work, so kudos to you. Oh, honestly, probably wasn't as productive as I thought it would be in hindsight, but I'm glad I put myself to the test to see how much I yeah. can balance both of those worlds. Good. I'm glad there was a balance then. It's, you just got to have a space that you can retreat back to where you got some privacy and then you're totally in control. It's just when you're traveling with other people, that's when working and partying is a lot harder to coordinate. That's why solo travel is the way. Yeah, man. It's a good life that you built for yourselves. It's getting there. I get, um, I actually like it so much. I get a lot of anxiety because uh, it hasn't been going for that long. Like, when will this come to an end? Uh, but I've been told by my therapist, as long as I express gratitude for it daily, then if it all goes away, uh, I won't be sad when it's gone or as sad. Okay. Interesting. It doesn't need to go away, though, you know? Like, But it, I get that it doesn't feel stable yet, right? 
people always tell me this and like I hear where they're coming from because again I when I look at the trajectory of my business and the amount of attention I'm able to get like logically that makes sense I just don't want to be in a position where my career is not going so well and then I'm like what the hell happened I never entertained this like a big way I manage my anxiety I guess I always entertain worst case scenario and then if it happens I'm like oh sweet I almost like manifested this for sure that makes sense too I mean mean, you also have like this whole it's not just like the social media shit that that you depend on right like you already have a clientele that comes to you and that trusts you so at least that was the thing though I um it was September last year where I wrapped up my face-to-face business or the idea was to I sacked all my clients in Sydney who I had for years. I loved them very much, but it was just so I could move back to my hometown with the intention um, to start up a face-to-face business there. But then by sort of going full tilt into the education side of things and pushing the online thing a little bit harder, um, there's just been all these opportunities. And ultimately, if you want to build a really good face-to-face business, you have to be present. You have to be showing up day in, day out. That's how I build my face-to-face business in Sydney. But with all the travel and stuff like that, it has been interesting to be like, yeah, come train with me. But then, you know, I'm gone for three months. We've spent like two weeks training together. <laughs> so sort of just giving myself the next two years to go all in on the traveling education and content creation side of things. And yeah, with the idea of like opening up a gym in my hometown in five years, but I'm a long way away from that. So we'll see. So Sydney's not the hometown. No, so I'm from a town, Wollongong, a uh, coastal town about an hour and a half south of Sydney. And it's sort of a university town. Like it's right in that spot of um, small city, big town sort of vibes. And it's close yeah, to yeah. like amazing beaches. And yeah, that's so nice. Where I have a bunch of those that are surrounded around Toronto. Like I went to one of those towns, except they all look like shit and there's no beaches. <laughs> yeah. So, that's that's Not- a lot different. That's the magical thing about Wollongong. It's called sort of where the mountains meet the sea. So it almost feels a little bit like Hawaii because there really is just like a very finite amount of space in the town, which is bad for real estate prices, but your boy might be able to get in there if I get enough Instagram clout. Yeah, man. That's the goal. That's the goal. You're doing really well on Instagram. Yeah, it is getting there. But then again, like you start paying attention to how other people are doing. And like, you know, I was like, I was talking uh, with my mentor, Jamie Smith, just about the hedonic treadmill, like the dopamine spike that 500 likes used to get. Then you're like, ah, it just doesn't feel the same anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More, 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 more. Yeah. But then also trying to lean into the dopamine component reward system of social media without just being like your classic sort of guru who's just like, oh, I've got to say something to get people riled up. Yeah. But there, I feel like there's like that fine line. Like sometimes people, I've, I've heard people say that they don't want to be shallow and pedantic. Shout out to Family Guy. Have you ever seen that episode? Yeah. <laughs> Where they're like, I don't want to like, you know, like just make my content so that it's like grabby and stuff because I don't want to succumb to it. But it's like, if you have a good message, I don't see anything wrong with that, you know? Right. And it, it, that's, that's the key thing. A lot of people just equate it with being evil, but. I think it, you could really help people if you also are able to master the attention gap. Yeah, that, that's very like Machiavellian of you. Are you familiar with Machiavellian, like his book? Not too much. You know, obviously, like you've heard some theories and some like and the name a ton of time, but like 
It's been mischaracterized. Like a lot of people view it as like the pocket manual for people like Donald Trump or Putin mm. and like all these tyrants. But the book was actually designed because Machiavelli was like an advisor to the throne sort of thing. And he noticed whenever any sort of really nice person got into power, they'd just be trampled over. And he was like, look, it's not about having good intentions. It's about like actually having an impact on the world. And he's like, if you sort of look at the tyrannical playbook of all these sociopaths, like whether they're good or bad, they're very, very effective at like achieving stuff and having an impact is like we can learn from their tool belt sort of thing and and i'm sort of that view with social media as well you have to try to be like this benevolent guru it's like it is actually worth being charismatic so you can get that attention because at the end of the day like most people get their fitness information from social media so if you want to educate the masses and have an impact rather than just being like you know there's all these evidence-based educators on instagram i hear them be like oh my god like no one wants to hear my long form my <laughs> educational content it's like when did social media give you that idea it's like you know there's actually a really well established place for that information where people are actively seeking it out it's called working in academia but then you get people who've like you know accumulated all these followers making memes and it's like you were making fucking cartoons why do you expect people to get onto your long form educational stuff it's 100%. interesting a hundred percent you know, and honestly, like I'm realizing now, people are following me for like whatever I've been doing. You know, like everybody will follow you because like some people will gravitate to what you're doing. And now that I started to do these interviews, people aren't following me for that. So I need to figure out a way to make it sort of tailored to why people are already following me because I think it's good content, right? But that doesn't fucking matter because it, if it doesn't grab attention, then, um, you know, like, I, like I'm doing it and it's great. I love it. And I think it's meaningful. And the few people that watch it, you know, they'll get something out of it. But if I wanted to have more of an impact, you know, I, I do have to figure out how to do that. And I, I don't think just sitting here whining about, you know, why isn't it working for me? Like, why don't they want to just sit here and watch a four minute video on Instagram? Nobody does that. Exactly right. Like it's so much friction. Like you're probably already listening to music in your headphones. If you think about the state that people are in, they're probably doom scrolling in bed to stop what's playing in their headphones. Stop that momentum that people get from scrolling because it is such a momentum driven thing. It's like, yeah. yeah, it is pretty unrealistic. I really try to delineate, especially in my mentorship, between having a social media presence, which is just like your soapbox and your megaphone to shout through, and then having your content reservoir, which is something that's either a podcast or a YouTube channel, something that's like indexable because back to even talking about the way people consume content uh, on social media, it also has to marry up with uh, your strategy with how content is stored and indexed on a sort of platform. It doesn't matter how much effort you put into a post, it's gone in 24 hours in any sort of social media platform. Even if they save it, right? It's really hard to categorize all that information. So they're still scrolling back ages to find it. If you put that same amount of effort into a YouTube video, that is indexable. It's searchable. It's there five years down the road. If someone wants to search it out, they're like, man, that's the best piece of content I ever saw. So I think the thing as well that people overestimate is you can get a lot of dopamine and like a lot of good feelings from all the double taps that you're getting. But if you think about the way that you double tap things, most of the shit I double tap, I don't even consume. It's just like me supporting my mates. And I'm not even having any reaction. My pupils aren't dilating. Content didn't actually make me smile. Whereas if you think about like the relationship you feel like you have um, with the podcasts that you listen to on a weekly basis. And even for those people who have pumping podcasts, they've got way more followers and they're getting way more interaction on their socials and things like that. Cause that's what it's built for just to build, 
build a bit of attention, receive a bit of attention, even though maybe only 5% or even 1% of your audience will jump across to that longer form content and engage with your reservoir. They're the people that actually give a fuck about you. And they're the people that will realistically purchase off you. Because like I said, you think about like the relationship that you potentially have with that sort of person through the way the content's consumed and how people can actually go back to it if you put the effort in there. So yeah, I think if they were a bit more thoughtful about just, you know, that classic uh, Marshall McLuhan quote, the medium is the message. Like there is a place for this long form content and there is a place where it will be appreciated and cherished for years on end. It's just not Instagram. Yeah, that is such a good point. And it's so true. Whenever you listen to a podcast, when you find those person's posts on Instagram, you are more engaged with it because you already have way more of a connection with that person. You probably got their voice going on in your ears. Like think about like having someone keep you company while you're doing your work for an hour every single week. Like I personally, I'm so grateful for all the podcast consumption me and my brother get. Cause like I said, I know how much I love all the podcasts I listen to on a weekly basis. And to get some of that sort of feeling back is like, big dopamine spikes for me that's amazing yeah like it's so much easier to get that dopamine spike off of a like but it again like if you go back to what you're saying earlier about the gratitude it's it's so much more meaningful and so much more deeper if you could just take a step back and be like wow it's really amazing that people are actually willing to sit through a half hour podcast with me and my brother like that that should be the dream instead of how many followers you have on instagram yeah, now that you're saying all of this, I'm thinking I should definitely put these on YouTube or something, or I should like get on Spotify because Instagram's probably not the medium for it. And there'll be someone who listens to one of these and is like, man, that's one of the best chats I've heard in a while. I wish I could sort of go back to that. Or a few months down the line, someone will say something like, fuck, this person should listen to this piece of content. It's gone on your social feed <laughs> because you're a daily poster. You're using the medium appropriately. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and just gone. Like even I have so many saved posts on Instagram that I will never look at in my life. <laughs> it's yeah. the, it's so it, it's just not well organized at all on the app. Like you were saying. Yeah. As soon as you're uh, making your money off content creation and distribution and stuff like that, I think it becomes really, really important to one, reflect on the way you consume content a little bit more intimately, but then also realizing that you're a unique individual as well. And you can't learn everything just based on your own consumer behavior, because that's a big part of why I personally ignored email marketing for so long. I've never gone to my spam folder, opened up a bunch of emails and then bought things through them. Turns out that's completely normal consumer behavior. Yeah. I've never done that either. No, wow. no, Mark. So are you, are you doing emails now? We're getting into it. It's just like everything's a process, right? Like first it's like you commit to daily posting and then you've got like a weekly podcast and then obviously you've got your actual job to fucking do like servicing your clients. So it's one of the things that I'm building momentum towards for 2023, getting nice. some people to help me with it. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. Not the priority. I find for me, if I can't relate to it deeply, I always have a harder time actually getting into the habit. So if I've never use emails to buy stuff i find like it's even more difficult to start that up because i can't relate to it i don't i don't truly see the value in it so yeah i guess but that's what's fun about it like Mm -hmm. me now i like the idea that people buy things through email so i think like the same way that people sign up with shitty fitness business coaches who just tell them to cold dm people and they're like i want that to work so i'm just going to participate in that behavior i've now noticed myself purchasing more from email marketing and things like that going through uh-huh. people's copy and be like this was a fucking boring read or every now and then be like man that was fucking sweet led right into the hook um so you, you can sort of develop a fetish for anything i think yeah that's cool that's cool speaking of shitty fitness gurus and people buying into it. You want to talk about that for a second? Hell yeah. 
All right. So we could approach this from two angles. Number one, what should the fitness trainers be doing better so that they they don't end up like one of those gurus? So what do the majority of fitness trainers get wrong? What are they focusing on that they shouldn't? And how can they reframe how they look at fitness so that they can better impact their clientele? Because this is what you're a master at. You're, you're a master at reframing the narrative, like taking a look at everything that's so convoluted in the industry and flipping on its head in a way that just makes things more simple. Yeah, uh, this is a line of thinking I got from James Smith, the thinker, um, I guess Nassim Taleb, uh, like through the writings and appropriation of Nassim Taleb's messaging, um, Ladin Jovanovic. Um, and I, I think my biggest takeaway in the last few years within the fitness industry, as I've got more comfortable and confident sharing my own sort of worldview and perspective, is that just appreciating that the fitness industry is very young, emerging, it's primitive in nature. And there have been many other adjacent industries that have been problem solving for complex dynamic systems for decades, dare I say centuries longer, maybe not that because again, dynamic systems theory is like quite a new theory in of itself. But I've always had a passion for music, cooking, like things that embody both equal parts of art and science or subjectivity and objectivity or like uh, inability for data to give you the full picture because qualitative sort of fields and even looking at like, you know, biopsychosocial concepts in economics and like how you would manage an economy. Like, you know, you stimulate an economy the same way we give an exercise stimulus and we're like logically based on the physiology or based on the pure economics, it should have this impact. But the same way our thoughts, beliefs and expectations around human movement and training impact the outcomes, there's also no such thing as a rational economic man. So you put money into people's bank accounts, being like, this should go off their mortgage. It should be spent on food and their kids' education, but they're stressed out because the economy's going down the toilet. So they spend all the money on booze and cigarettes. So it's like, we see like complex systems, dynamic systems, like biopsychosocial concepts being applied in every other field around us. And like I said, they've just been doing it for longer. And I think if we open our eyes up a little bit more to things that are happening outside of our solo silo, sorry, uh, we can start to get a bit more sophisticated uh, problem-solving type thinking. That's brilliant. Yeah, the biopsychosocial model is taking so long for it to be integrated into medicine, into fitness, into nutrition. But everyone understands it when it comes to economics. Everyone understands People innately understand the biopsychosocial thing. It's just when you're confronted with the truths of it, especially in the fitness industry, it takes a lot of those tools that we thought were like uh, a bit more useful and we put a bit more weight in them than we probably should have. I think as well, like I love the way that physios, especially in the fitness industry, are taking the lead with this biopsychosocial thinking. I've actually been quite disappointed with personal trainers' ability to sort of intake these concepts and apply it to their programming and those sorts of things as well. Okay. So how do you do that? Um, You just start engaging with your clients a little bit more directly and be like, what do you think about this plan? It's not up to me to write you an optimal training plan. It's about their perception of the plan and what they think it's going to do to their body. Like uh, John Kiley talks a lot about these concepts and I've sort of borrowed a lot of his thinking on this topic. But yeah, it's like, I do not need to be so attached to the program I write for my client. And I also need them to empower them to be confident, to communicate their needs and their feelings about the programming towards me. And then just meeting them a bit halfway. Now, I'm not saying it's just completely like getting the client to coach themselves, 
it's definitely a lot more collaborative. And again, if you look at trends in the fitness industry, it's sort of shifted from I'm the master guru, I'm going to save you to that hero's journey where it is everything is a little bit more collaborative and you realize it's the client that's got to do the work. I'm just sort of there to remove a few barriers or help them clear some obstacles a little bit easier. Beautiful. Yeah. So this collaboration is key. And and you have this whole perspective of sort of fuck optimal. And that is because we're people and we have, we're influenced by our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, by our culture around us. So optimal would be great, but we're not robots and we can't always subscribe to the perfect program. And it's the same thing like you were saying with economics, like ideally you'd be allocating your money perfectly, but nobody does that because we're emotional beings. Yeah, because so. people talk about like the physics of it, which ultimately is underpinned by mathematics. And then again, you look at music, which people just accept as such an art form. But at the end of the day, all that Western scale is underpinned by mathematics. So in theory, like with music, you should be able to put together a song and be like, this is the most consonant sound you've ever heard. There's no way anyone could not like this. But again, you play it to a whole bunch of different people and they're going to have a whole bunch of different reactions to it. Right. Right. There is a science to it, but it doesn't always apply to everybody. And there is a qualitative aspect. There is an yeah. emotional human aspect of it. So Same with um, cooking as well. Like, you know, we understand like food science, the way certain flavors go together, light up different parts of your palate. But then like, what's that fruit? Oh, it's that Asian fruit. Oh God, I've lost it. It was the perfect reference for this. But yeah, again, it's, there's no such thing as objectivity outside of the individual perspective. We could talk about cilantro, I guess, or something like that. I yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. It tastes like soap to me, too. Okay, I love it. See, there you go. All right. There you go. Yeah, that's so fun. But tomatoes, I cannot do. They taste like vomit to me. There's no way tomatoes taste the same for everybody, because if they do, the majority of the world, they're psychopaths, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no one is experiencing what you're experiencing with a tomato at a population level. Definitely not. Definitely not. Okay, so then how do you try and have a conversation with clients if they come to you and they're like, I want a program that's going to be, that's perfectly optimal, that's going to get me completely shredded, that's going to make me lose 20 pounds of body fat. And they're immediately just thinking about the results and they want the perfect plan of how to get there. And in their mind, they think they can adhere to it 100% because a lot of people that start fitness are, are thinking like that. They don't think about how they're always human and that maybe there's going to be some weeks that are just shitty and, you know, life happens and they're not going to be able to stick to the program. So how do you go about having that sort of conversation? With them? I think it's a tough one and it's one that I haven't mastered either because I'm pretty utopian in terms of I'm definitely trying to get people into a more process orientation, but the belief that I find myself constantly struggling to challenge successfully is this idea that fitness can become a really enjoyable part of their life. Because again, I look at all the people that get the best results and as much as they talk about the grind and all the hard work that they put in for this voluntary hobby, like, you know, there's not many professional <laughs> lifters out there at the end of the day. So you can tell me that like, oh, I suffered through all this hard training, but it's like, ah, you love it. Like you're just neurodivergent. So you love doing the same three lifts day in, day out. Like that's fucking the most amazing <laughs> thing for some people. And then they sort of like, well, other people can't tolerate the boring work. It's like, nah, you just wired a little bit differently. So I, I haven't given up on that dream to make everyone like a participant in fitness and to engage with these health-seeking behaviors 
for a lifetime because once you overcome that hurdle, it's so easy then to motivate them and go out and change a bunch of other behaviors on top of that. Um, but yeah, it really just is about like, there's no way around process orientation if they haven't found some level of joy in what they're doing. So even if you have to um, write them a program that might not get them the result they're seeking immediately, if you can write them something that they actually enjoy doing, then you can slowly attenuate that process into something that's a little bit more productive. I would also say that as an industry, and again, this probably isn't something that's on the consumer or the individual so much as the educators and the practitioners within the fields and the attitudes that they're propagating. But I feel like where we've done the general population a real disservice, at least the ones that have engaged with personal trainers, is we haven't educated them on what a consistent stimulus means, or at least what does a relatively consistent stimulus mean? Because I think all of a sudden, if you're like, hey, look, it's just about not missing a whole week of training. Hey, it's not about doing the exact same variation of a squat week in, week out if you want to front squat one week back squat the next and then hack squat the third week or like just giving them more flexible programming tools because i think that's the thing that we've failed to communicate to the general population on mass as our understanding as trainers has leveled up a little bit but i guess the same way most ideas get transmitted through the practitioner and then years later uh become more aware in the layperson zeitgeist I think it is something that will happen over time because like for me, that's only been a belief that I've just got comfortable with, I would say in the last 18 months to two years personally. Yeah. And I would say the same for me. I don't think that's something that I originally thought of getting into fitness, getting into even physio. Uh, I think we're always trying to think of the best possible thing to do and really undervaluing how important it is to just show up and, and do something, even if it is a little less optimal or if it's a little different from what you were doing. You don't need to do a, maybe a back squat five times, like doing it every single week, day after day. Maybe that's more optimal mm. uh, in theory on paper. And the, the, the thing is as well, when you allow them to rotate those exercises, they might have a day where the back squat just clicks and then they go on a back squat kick for the next five weeks. And like when that's self-led, rather than me being like, no, go on, do you want a good back squat or not? Go in there and practice it again. It's like, I think that's a more favorable sort of approach to it. Right. Yeah, I think people have a better time learning when they have the freedom to be creative and to explore as opposed to just having to be stuck to this rigid thing. I want them to view the gym as a sandpit to explore their body, first yeah. and foremost. Yeah, I think I think that's the goal for sure. That's amazing. I love that. Thank you. Beautiful. Uh, Angus, man, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'm going to have to go back and listen to this a few times. And I think this should not go on Instagram because there was way too much value in it. Oh yeah. And nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna listen to it because <laughs> I want to, I want to share it with everyone. So I really appreciate it. The whole thing was really, really good. And, uh, I think you have a really, really amazing thought process, really brilliant very creative and i love the way that you're able to flip things on its head and just look at things through a different lens and make things more simple for people it's really really important and i think it's one of the most valuable skills someone could have and it's key to be able to do that with a smile on your face and and cursing a little bit so that people actually like to listen to you Uh, thanks so much what you have picked up from what I put out is exactly I feel seen when I get all these compliments because this is exactly the sort of stuff and the energy that I want to put out into the fitness space. So thank you so much. So is this the start of your YouTube channel? It might be. I mean, I've already like I've used YouTube, but only for short. So I think this might be the first long, long form thing that I post on YouTube. All right, hell yeah, let's go.
Yeah, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for uh for giving me that little tidbit of wisdom. Like, don't only use Instagram because uh you're right. You're definitely Sorry, right. I expect you to take me out for a drink when you've hit ten thousand subscribers and I'll make my way to Canada eventually. <laughs> Dude, if, if you're ever here or I'm ever in Sydney, then a hundred or wherever you are in the world because you're traveling everywhere, a hundred percent we'll meet up. Thank you once again for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving a review. If you would like to follow me on social media, you can follow me at noahmandel.physio on Instagram and TikTok. Have a wonderful day and remember to keep moving forward.